Welcome to Culture Conversations, a podcast that helps disciples make disciples in today's world. I'm Chris Moran, host of Culture Conversations, and today you'll be hearing from the pastoral elders of Eternal City Church on the COVID-19 crisis. Every media outlet in the world at this time is continually giving us information on this pandemic. We, the elders of Eternal City Church, want to give a biblical answer, a biblical reasoned response to how Christians should be thinking about this season in 2020. All right, we are here as the pastoral elders of Eternal City Church. We have the High Bishop of Wilkinsburg, Eddie Jones. We have the sociologist, Justin Coxum, the theologian, Pete Rue, and and the voice of one crying on the podcast. (laughs) Make the way straight for the Lord, Chris Moran. We're going to talk about the COVID-19 crisis. Everybody is talking about it, however... Uh, I think we need to weigh in as a as a. Sh- <laughs> I did just complain about that. I said I hate it when little things go off on podcasts. In my days. So, in light of the in light of the COVID nineteen crisis, we want to not just add our voice and opinions, but to try to shepherd our people and to give some biblical categories to what is happening. A lot of people are scared. A lot of people are fearful. A lot of people are worried. And I think we need to be ones who trust God, who are relying on his sovereignty, who are standing on his controlling of this pandemic. So I, I'm going to ask this question first. I'm going to direct it to the, the theologian in the room. Um, Pete, the theological category, brother, of natural evil versus personal evil, can you explain that and then also talk about um, how we should think about natural evil versus personal evil in relation to a virus. Sure. So we, when you're thinking of natural and personal evil, obviously we, we have to start with why does evil exist? How does it exist? Where did it come into the, the framework of, of our world? And ultimately that is through sin. Uh, there are varying opinions on the ultimate cause of evil um, in the world. But I, I think we can... Properly understanding the sovereignty of God, take the position, personally I do, and I know others do as well, I'm not sure about the opinions in the room, but I think we can comfortably say the ultimate cause of evil in the world is a sovereign God who's in control of all things. Um, and I don't think that means that God is unjust, that God is unfair. Um, I think in his sovereignty, he allows for evil to happen for his good purposes and his good will um, for our good, for his glory. We don't understand all the mysteries of that, but in, in reality, that's, that's how things tend to operate. So when we see natural evils in the world, things like pandemics that we're dealing with now, um, earthquakes, natural disasters, natural evils that exist, and, and people, people's lives are lost as a result of that, um, I think, I think we, can, we can rightly say that there is an element of the sovereignty of God that's involved in this. And, and this disaster that's taking place in the world and be comfortable in that because God is sovereign, because God is in control of all those things. And um, there's the, that other element of, of personal evil where you're dealing with individuals in their sin, in their depravity, who are committing atrocities, mass shootings, killing other, killing other people, 
um, serial killers. You think of some of the worst criminals that we could possibly imagine. So it, it, you have these two these two elements of evil. One driven as we we look on and up from the outside looking in, seemingly driven by individual sin, um, which I believe is true. The other from natural disasters that has a lens of the sovereignty of God and elements of disasters that we kind of have to deal with in, in the category of God is sovereign over all things. So you have these two these two streams of, of evil, and then when we consider the the element of the pandemic and what we're going through now, I think we have to put that within the the, the lane of natural evil. Hmm. We have to consider that as this has come about not not because God has slipped up somehow, not because he has allowed something bad to happen to us um, in the sense that he wasn't aware, but I think in the, in the understanding of God as sovereign, even in the realms of evil, um, this is something we have to consider that God has allowed, or even consider the case of, has God caused um, for his good, for our good, and for his glory, for the, the growth of the gospel in the church, and for the glory of God ultimately. Um, so I think you have, you have those two components of it to consider. And in that natural evil realm, how do we how do we wrap our minds around and engage around the idea of God's sovereignty in all of this? What does this what does this mean for the God that we serve? What does this mean for our faith in response to that? So any any other thoughts in the room are, are welcome to, but those are my initial Three or four minutes of thought. You mentioned the it's possible that God has played a causal role or mm-hmm. caused this, and that drew my mind to God speaking to the people, uh, speaking to us really through his word in Deuteronomy 8, 2. Um, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 days in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. And he humbled you. And let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not come, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Yep. So even in the context of God's chosen people, he played a causal role mm-hmm. in their hungering. Mm-hmm. And I think you, you positioned it well that we don't know the mystery or all the nuances of what God might have uh, in store with this, but I do think it's within the possi- realm of possibility that God has um, is using this as a means of teaching people that we are dependent on much more than ourselves. And I think we've all learned that, you know, especially in America, we can probably think that, you know, I make my money, I buy my food, I'm self-sufficient. We're really with like, I think Eddie, you've said this, like one strain of one virus has gone outside of the way it was created to work and it's caused a lot of chaos. And perhaps... I would say perhaps, because I don't think we know for sure, but perhaps God is using that to humble people and to show them that we're dependent on him and not ourselves. Yeah, um, to get back off of that, uh, whether it's, it's caused by God or allowed by God, I think. Um, but all God had to do to quote, get our attention was just remove his hand of protection, mm. you know, and because he could have stopped this, obviously, he could have stopped this in Wuhan. You know, he could have stopped it from spreading, but for whatever reason, he chose to allow this. All he had to do was remove his hand of protection, and the whole world shuts down. Explain that. Open that up. I mean, he, he could have not allowed, allowed this virus to spread. 
He could have stopped it, but he didn't. And because he didn't, because he removed his hand of protection and allowing this virus to spread, um, the whole world is in chaos and people are dying. And it's not even because he caused it, but he just removed his hand. And that's all he had to do. He didn't have to cause anything himself. You know what I'm saying? All he had to do was just remove his hand of protection and the whole world is in chaos over it. It just goes to show to say how much we need him. You know, how much we need him. And we are not in any less control than we were a month ago before mm-hmm. this thing spread. Yeah, absolutely. And we, are, we were never in control. And sometimes God has to remind us of that and, and let us see how much, how much we need him. At the same time, God is not in any less control than he was a month ago. You know, he's still in control, you know. Um, but sometimes God has to use various means to, uh, to allow us to see how much we need him and, and how much, how dangerous it is for us to remove him from society. And so that's what's one thing I think about with this whole thing. You know, he didn't have to, all he had to do was let our virus just run rampant and we're losing our minds. You know, it's just a, just shows how insignificant and how not in control we are as much as we think we are. And that's not to speak negatively or even make, it's just the reality of, of, of life. We are not as much in control as we think we are. Yeah. We are only here by the grace of God. Yeah, the illusion of control. Yeah. I, I thought as you guys were speaking about um, Job and the situation there is he, he was attacked by Satan, but Satan had to get permission mm-hmm. from God. And so when Job speaks of what happened to him, he says, shall we receive good from the hand of the Lord and not evil? Mm-hmm. And then the very next line is, in all this, Job did not yes. sin with his lips, yes. mm-hmm. but he just said, God did this. Mm-hmm. So in, in that respect, when we think about the sovereignty of God and evil, now that's personal evil, right? Satan is a person, he's a being. And uh, he, he caused, I think, natural things to happen there, like the fire from God. I think we could say that's lightning. Mm-hmm. Um, so somehow Satan had, we, we don't know to what degree Satan can control natural elements. Uh, that seems very mysterious to us. But clearly he's able to you know, do things like possess animals, because you see that with the demoniac in Mark 5, and then the pigs are possessed by the demons, send us to the swine, and, and the 2,000 pigs rush down the hill. Um, and then, the you know, in Job's case, uh, he is also inflicted with sores and sickness. And so there's, there's microscopic things going on in Job's body that Satan caused. But God also was the one who was allowing that to happen and put a limit on it. You, you shall not kill the man. And, and Job knew where that came from, right? He was like, shall we receive good from God, but not evil? And, and he did not sin by saying that. So I think that there's many places in the Bible, that's just one we could go to, to say that God is in control of the evil that happens and the, the bad things, the, the personal evil and the natural evil. And I think that this is a good segue into our next question, uh, is, is this God's judgment? Um, certainly God does discipline his children, Hebrews 12, um, but he also judges the unrighteous. And, and let's qualify that. But by the grace of God, we would be in that category too. 
right? So is this God's judgment as we think about God's sovereignty over viruses and hurricanes and earthquakes and tornadoes and Satan even? I'm reminded of Habakkuk, which is not a book probably most people engage with or read, but is mm-hmm. one of the best books in the Bible. Short, too. Short, very short. Yeah. Three chapters. Read this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, so Habakkuk comes to God at the very beginning of chapter one, and he says... There's, there's evil men, there's evil people in Judah who are doing terrible things. What are you going to do about it? He basically questions God, says, what are you going to do about it? And God's response is, I'm going to judge them with the Chaldeans, basically the Babylonians, and they're going to come and they're going to crush you. That's my judgment on them. And Habakkuk's response, which is <laughs> ironic, is, I didn't want that. <laughs> That's not what I wanted. I didn't want to see that happen. But but God very carefully navigates in his conversation with Habakkuk. Um, that's where we get the, the phrase, the just shall is by faith, which Paul quotes in Romans is Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And at the very end of God speaking, Habakkuk says these words. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the field, and there's no herd in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like deers. He makes me tread in high places. So I think a few things to glean from that. One, our understanding, our idea of judgment is oftentimes different from God's. Mm-hmm. God, the, the way God judges is a bit of a mystery. It, it is something that we, I think that we can fully grasp. And so in this instant is this judgment from God. I think we could very rightly say, yes, there's an element of this. There's there's unrighteousness in the world, and God is choosing to allow or cause some level of judgment to to say this is happening. Um, I don't think we can pinpoint and say it's because of this specific sin. Mm-hmm. But if we look at society around us, we see sin happening. It's rampant. Um, you do see a, a general decline within society, especially in Western society, in terms of... Um, commitment to Christ and just the, the societal decline in terms of morals. Um, so I think you could rightly say, yes, this is in a sense. Do we have that definitively? No. Um, but the judgment of God is for his purposes and what he desires. I don't think we fully grasp what it could be, how it's manifested. Um, and as a church, I think it's right to say like, hey, I, I don't like this if it is. Um, this, this doesn't feel good. Um, we just finished having a gathering of the four of us and Phillips doing live streaming and all the rest of us are sitting in homes watching. That's not ideal. That's not what we want. And so we can rightly say this isn't ideal. This isn't what we would desire. But if this is the good judgment of God for his purposes, we can rejoice like Habakkuk rejoices in the midst of his people being slaughtered. Not just not just going through a pandemic, thousands would be killed um, and taken away. Like their nation would be no more. And Habakkuk's response is still, I'll rejoice in judgment, which is very interesting. I don't know if I would have had Habakkuk's <laughs> mindset. I've been like, no, no, I'm still not getting this. This isn't working for me. But uh, yeah, I think Habakkuk is, again, recommend. Great book to read. It's very short. So. Yeah. The judgment of God is never, sorry, is never um pleasant <laughs> the yeah. judgment of God. So whether it's his active judgment or passive judgment, and, and 
we all obviously don't a lot of times don't know which one it is. Yeah, yeah. Can we talk about causality for a second? Because sure. you're, you're talking about primary and secondary causality. Mm-hmm. Well, whether it's something that God caused to happen, whether He sent the virus Himself, or whether, like I said earlier, He just removed His hand of protection and allowed it to come. And I don't think a lot of times we don't know which one that is, um, or even if that's even important. Um, but it's never something. The result is never never pleasant. You know. Um, like you said, we don't really know if this is the judgment of God, but at the same time, we can see society, how far society has gone mm-hmm. from God, and, and even blatantly just to disregard it, his laws. Whether you believe in, in the scriptures or not is even beside the point <laughs> at a certain point. So we've changed laws about marriage and all of that, whatever it may be. Um, and when you remove God from society, there's consequences to that. You know, whatever those consequences are. And could this be part of that? Um, I don't know. But when you tell God, you know, we really don't want you here, uh, there's consequences to that. And God, that's what Romans 1 is all about. He gave them over. He gave them over. He gave them over. Okay, have what you want. You know, you don't want me? Okay, fine. And just see what life is like without me. And that could be um, part of what's happening here. It's mm-hmm. good. Justin, I'm curious. Um, you're you're pretty evangelistically and socially minded. Um, how could God, or how is God, reaching out to the lost, or how could He be reaching out to the lost? And then, secondly, in that same stream, how could we, the church, be reaching out to the lost in this, you know, unique opportunity? Really? Yeah. I think that's a good question and one that has some broad, uh, I would say, principles in it, and then individual applications may vary. But on a, in, the, in the broadest sense, and maybe it's because we just finished going through uh, the passages in Genesis, I think one of the ways this is showing people their need for God is that we're created in His image, and that it's not good for man to be alone. Mm-hmm. And I think the constant uh, pressure and really a requirement for us to socially distance ourselves from people to be locked in their house all day, I think we're all finding out that we need each other and that we're created to be in community like God is community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Triune. And so I think this is an opportunity for the church uh, in the midst of a society that's, for the most part, very wealthy, where people have all types of, you know, you can still order food, you can watch all the Netflix you want. Mm. Um, This is really unfortunate and uh, something that I've lamented and also, and I think it makes perfect sense though, the rate at which internet pornography is being consumed has skyrocketed mm-hmm. from like a fraction of a percent. I think people are just bored. Bored and also desiring intimacy. Mm-hmm. And so for the church, I think one of the opportunities we have is to show people that we value and place a high uh, value on people and not technologies or things that give us gratification that doesn't ultimately satisfy us. And so practically, what could that look like? Um, Obviously, it means trying to, as much as we can, pick up the phone, call people, talk to them from a safe social distance, um, but also to point people to the idea that Christianity is is created so that we can flourish together in community and together with God. And so the foundational principle of man should not be alone is a Christian principle. Mm-hmm. And we can point people back to that truth to say when we're brought into relationship with Christ, we're also brought into a relationship with one another and with the church. And one of the things that people may be running into now is the idea that like we 
need more than all the technology and money and things that we have that we think keep us happy. And so I think it's certainly an opportunity for us to be proactive, to reach out to people, um, even if it's just walking your neighborhood and praying for your neighbors and praying for opportunities to engage people. I think that's one way. I think depending on your level of uh, comfort and also, you know, level of vulnerability to the disease. If you're elderly and have autoimmune issues, you know, the, the amount at which you engage people in this season could vary. But I do think from an evangelistic or just uh, outreach standpoint, this is also certainly an opportunity for us to pray and for us to see God move in the unseen ways upon people, like we just read in that verse in Deuteronomy, that he would create in them a hunger and show them that, like, you're hungry because I haven't fed you. And you're going after all of these things that you think in this time where you don't have the choice to do what you want to do anymore that you think are ultimately going to sustain you, and they're not. So you've watched all your Netflix, you've watched all your porn, you've done all your internet surfing, you've been on all your social media sites, and you're still pulling your hair out. And hopefully that's an opportunity for us to apply and present the gospel to people to say, yeah, because we were created for more. We were created for more than what these things offer us. And I think that's an opportunity that each of us individually has to kind of figure out what it looks like, right? So someone just heard what you said mm-hmm. on this podcast, and they're now wondering, okay, so I get it now. Justin is saying, I am missing a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And then they say to you, Justin, how, how do I get right with him? What do I do? Hmm. Uh, I would start with repentance. To put it in a word, repentance. So whatever things that have disappointed in you, that have disappointed you in this season, just confess to God and say, God, I have allowed TV, money, my job, whatever it is, to take the place of what you ultimately des- uh, deserve in my life. And I repent. Meaning I'm turning from those things and I want to put my trust in you. And so real practically, what I would encourage that person to do is to open up to one of the Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew, to read it and to call one of your friends or neighbors. Or if you are listening to this podcast and want one of us to walk through that with you, we'd be happy to. To open one of the Gospels and to read it and to ask a Christian to come alongside you and explain and begin to teach you how to live the way that Jesus taught us to live. I think that would be my most simple, succinct non-nuanced answer. There's totally, you know, a ton, tons of roads we could go down after that, but that's, that would be the, the basis of it. Yeah, that's great. It's so helpful. Um, the word repentance is often seen in a negative light when really the biblical definition of repentance is the turn from death to life. Yeah, why, why, why is that, do you think? Why do we see repentance when we hear a preacher saying it, when we hear it in conversation, we just heard you say it, why do we immediately get this like negative sensation like, oh, guilt, shame, fear, rejection, when really what we're asking people to do, and when you know, John the Baptist came, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Jesus, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's, he's calling for a turning to what is actually life, light, beauty, glory, fulfillment, flourishing. What is it? What, what is it about repent that immediately strikes a negative chord in us? Well, I think anyway. ignorance, people don't understand that definition you just gave. They don't know that definition. And then also, if, if I need to repent, which means I've done something wrong, and nobody wants to feel like they've done anything wrong, you know, so if you're telling me to repent, it means I'm bad. 
you know, and so I don't want to feel that. So, oh, I need to repent. Okay, what did I do? You know, that's not, so I think that's part of it. Uh, people have a misunderstanding of what repentance is. They don't understand turning from death to life. Mm-hmm. It just means, um, okay, from going from being bad to good. That's how I think how people will Okay, so, so you're saying there's a difference between going from bad to good. There is a going from death to life. Open that up. Well, it's... None of us are good in and of ourselves. We are sinful creatures born in sin, shaped in iniquity. So when I'm going, what I mean by going from death to life, when I'm in sin, living disobedient to God, that's death. And when God is saying, come repent and turn to me, Jesus' first words, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. There's a benefit to repentance. There's going towards something, towards life, towards God, towards the kingdom of heaven when you repent. So you are... In, in, a, in a spiritual state of death when you don't repent and when you are um, um, not in relationship with God and repentance brings you into that relationship which brings you into life not just abundant spiritual uh, life here on earth but a spiritual life and a spiritual awakening and being alive to God and the things that matter Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay You guys want to remark on that? I was going to say good answer it's <laughs> like family feud. Good answer. Okay. No, I would, I would add just briefly um, two two things that as, I, as I'm thinking about this. The the first is our flesh and our sin convinces us that whatever we want that is not God is better. Mm-hmm. And so when, when there's that yeah. call for repentance, it's we're not turning away from things that our flesh is telling us, our sin is telling us that's actually better than what mm-hmm. God's going to provide you. Yes. Um, it's that very thing that Satan does with Eve in the garden. He says that this is actually going to be better than what God's mm-hmm. given you. eat this fruit, your, your eyes will be opened, you will be like God's, and it will be better than what you had before. So I think there's an element of that where that initial call feels like a struggle. It feels like mm-hmm. a negative because of what we think we're giving up is worth more than what we're getting when in reality what we're getting mm-hmm. is infinitely worth more than whatever we're giving up whatever we give up pales in comparison to Christ and the, the joy and the beauty that we get within the second thing and and I don't even know if I've vetted this fully in my own brain yet so we'll see how this comes out um, even just from a most people's personality lends itself to not not desiring change Mm-hmm. I think yeah. there's an element where people don't mm-hmm. people don't want to have to change, even just in non sinful ways. Like people people get into habits, and it's very hard to break those habits, and they don't want to put the effort in to break those habits. And so, when there's a call to turn away from our sin, it's like, oh, I have to change something, mm-hmm. and there's an immediate reaction and negative to that mm-hmm. because it is it is challenging to change. It's difficult to change habits. It's difficult to change our lives. Um, and so people immediately react to, oh, I have to change. I don't want to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think there's there's yeah. two elements of that there as I'm thinking through this off the top of my head. Hmm. Good a, answer. You guys yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, we generally don't like change. <laughs> don't like change. <laughs> Especially if, if we feel it requires work yeah. to change. We don't want to. Yeah, we don't want to put the work in to change. Absolutely. Even if we think and know it's going to be good for us. If it requires, like like working out, exercises, we know that it's going to benefit us. But it's who, work. who lo- it's work? Yeah, like it I, requires discipline. I shouldn't 
eat an entire box of cereal in one day. <laughs> yeah, I probably you shouldn't tomorrow, do that. Maybe. <laughs> I ran out of cereal, actually. I think I had, like, golden grams. <laughs> yeah, but that's, we don't want to go to the gym every day or wherever often you need to go to, to, to better my, my health and my physical fitness. We know it's good for us and it's going to benefit us, yeah. but that must change. Ah, do I want to do that? Yeah, I, I, I want to go down that road just a little bit further. Um, the relationship between God's sovereignty and our responsibility in the transformation process, which we could call sanctification, um, how do we reconcile it? Because I think there are those who we would, we would define theologically as hyper-Calvinists who would say, if God wants to change me, he will change me. And I really don't have to put forth any effort. Um, It's the whole thing where Jesus might say, uh, God knows what you need before you ask it. And so our response, hyperly, might be, well, then why pray? Why ask anything, right? So what should we do? Because I know there's people in our church who need to change. I need to change, right? Um, How do we put forth effort rightly, biblically, and rely on the power of God's sovereignty to change. Anybody? <laughs> <laughs> One of the most pertinent and helpful quotes I've heard in relation to that discussion, I think, I'm pretty sure John Piper said this, uh, the Christian life is the process of becoming who you already are in Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. if we believe that, which we do, that God's spirit is in us, that he's constantly sanctifying us and allowing us, giving us the will to persevere and to be more like Christ, then when we're implementing change in our life or we're saying, I want to stop eating cereal or I want to start going to the gym more or I want to defeat some other sin in my life, we're not doing it so that God will accept us. We're doing it because that's our nature now. Because by faith, we believe we've been filled with the Holy Spirit that Jesus has died on our behalf. And so we do those things in light of what Jesus did and not instead of what Jesus did. Meaning, God will accept me if I eat less cereal or if I work out more or if I watch less porn. Instead, God has already accepted me in Christ. I'm already filled with the Spirit. So the most logical thing for me to do, even though it's completely against a lot of my mind, will, and emotion, is to feed that Spirit inside of me that gave me by doing the things that Christians do, that Jesus did. Serving my neighbor, eating better, whatever we feel like that might be in our lives. So that's, I think, part of the discussion is realizing that that's what we are in Christ mm-hmm. and so we do it not to be accepted, but because we're accepted. Yeah. It's like First John, if you love me, keep my commandments. Mm-hmm. Not, if you want to be loved by me, keep mm-hmm. my commandments. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's really good. And uh, Philippians 2, very popular verses, but um, read them quickly so I don't mess them up. But... Basically, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you, both the will to do with his good pleasure. So when we have that that element of our work and and his power, um, I, I think there's a there's a both end. Like we we can't just sit there and just assume we're going to change. We're not fatalists. Right. We, we if we're going to go to the gym, we we have to get up and go to the gym. Um, if we're going to read our scripture and and be in a regular interaction with God's word. We have to make a habit in our life to do it. But recognize the reason we're doing it is not because we have some internal power and internal strength that's willing us to do it. It's 
it's God's grace and mercy in our lives that's even bringing us daily to his word and bringing us to, to scripture and to learn about him, um, not our own volition, not of our own doing. But in that moment, hey, get up and do it. We have to get up and do it. Because if you don't, it's not just, God was just going to kind of get into your brain because you sat there and thought, well, God's got to work. And if he doesn't work, then um, he must not be powerful enough. No, that's not how it works. Um, I think those verses provide a, a clear idea that there's there's dual elements here, um, but it ultimately works in the power of God. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Um, he's, he's gifted us through the gospel um, the power to to do good things and to change and to see ourselves become more like Christ. And, and the way he's done that is through Christ's blood. And we do it because of what Justin, you said, because of what he's already done for us. That's our motivation for change. Hmm. There was a Desire of God conference a few years ago called Act the Miracle. Hmm. And it was the miracle of sanctification is that it's God working, but we act it out. Right? So it's God who works in us, but we actually work. And I think that's really important to think about is that we have to take some steps, but we're not taking steps minus God. We're not taking steps to, uh, to get God engaged. There's a both and happening at the same exact time. So theologically, it's been said like this. Salvation is monergistic, mono and then, you know, erg for energy, um, but sanctification is synergistic in that there's two or more working together to accomplish something. So God accomplishes our salvation himself. He did all the work. He then calls us. He makes us alive from that life breathing, you know, spiritual place. We then repent and exercise faith. But sanctification is not like that. Um, would you guys agree with that, that sanctification is synergistic and not monergistic? Peach wondering <laughs> with his face. I'm good, I'm good with it. It's like that poem, Footprints in the Sand. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> <laughs> That's all those I'm yes. joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm joking. I was like, where's the like yeah. <laughs> You know that's not a scripture, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, no, I do agree. I think, um, you know, Ephesians is one example where it talks about Jew and Gentile reconciled to God in Christ. He is our peace. He has made the two groups one. And then chapter four, make every effort to live out the unity of faith that he's brought for us. So I think it's a both end. He has made us one in Christ. We have a... Uh, theological reality that he's done but at the same time we live in light of that and we live in light of that um, not because we're earning anything from God but because he's already done it for us so again it's I guess circular logic back to the original kind of uh, idea from John Piper that we're just being who we are in Christ yeah Jesus did say if your eye causes you to sin gouge it take effort right if your hand causes you to sin chop it off it's better to go into eternal life maimed or lame Mm -hmm. Um, than to perish eternally with Mm -hmm. eye and hand. And so I think that that's metaphoric for take action. Don't cut your eyes out. (laughs) Please don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. There's many verses that talk about our um, uh, command to do and and to walk this thing out. You know, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. We are required to live holy. Um, only through the power of the Holy Spirit, but we, like you said, the synergies, and we work together with the with the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, he doesn't leave us on our own. 
Because yeah. we would never get there if he did. He doesn't leave us on our own. Can I make one more point on that? And it's only because you brought up the plucking out of eyes and the effort. I think specifically in this time, and this is directly from my own personal life, uh, while we're in this social isolation, sort of unprecedented phase, one of the things that I think we all need to consider how much we need to gouge or pluck out of our lives is social media. Yeah. Mm, um, mm, because amen, amen. everything that seems to be going on there right now is blaming someone or something oh, yeah. and is stirring up fear yeah. and is stirring up uh, all types of emotions that, for the most part, aren't ones that we want to replicate. And so in a normal sense, in a normal time where I may get to see and interact with my friends and socialize other ways, I may not notice how much that impacts my spirit. Yeah. But now that we can't see or interact with people as much or just do our normal routines, the amount that this impacts and can influence our brains is exponential. So I am making this uh, exhortation to myself as well as people listening to this podcast is really just pray about like how much, how much news is too much. Mm -hmm. And for some people that's, I need to look at it once and be done with it. And for some people, it might mean I don't need to look at it at all. And I'll let someone else tell me what's going on because it's just going to make me fearful or angry or bitter or anything else. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I get so many, so many, um, uh, uh, messenger things about the coronavirus and what people are saying. And everybody has, everybody has an opinion about it. Everybody has a view in the church and outside the church. And, um, and, and that's why even, even going with the whole judgment of God thing, we need to, to lay off of that because nobody knows that. And people speak as if they do know that. Yeah. I know this is what God is doing. God is doing this with the church and God is doing this with the world. And, and we don't know that. And, and, and it, it can mess people up. It really can. And so we do need to, to really um, uh, be discerning and wise. And, and I don't really listen to them all because <laughs> it's just, it's just, you get so many views, you know, and, and, and it's just not good. It's just not good. And we need to be careful and use wisdom with that. God knows what's going on. And that's all that matters. Yeah. As long as he knows, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, so be, be brought it back to the original question, COVID-19. That's what we're talking about here. Um, our society is basically shut down. Like, we're a small group before here. We're allowed technically to meet as long as we're six feet apart. And we're not six feet apart. Justin and I are, but Pete and I are not. So, back up. Justin, you always good with that. However, we have disinfected wipes and hand sanitizer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are taking... We're drinking Clorox. We're doing all the things we need to be doing. It's good for you. Is it good... Is it good in light of what has happened to shut down society? Is this a bad idea? Is this a good idea? I mean, I personally have temporarily lost my job. Others in our church have lost their jobs. Um, what, what do you guys think about this? Good thing, bad thing? I think it's based on safety and wisdom to trying to be safe and protect people and use wisdom, which I think is good. And sometimes in doing that, it causes something on this level, this measure of, it causes people to lose their jobs. And that's unfortunate, that's a bad thing. Um, But is it necessary? I would say yes right now. Um, But there are consequences to that. And there are repercussions even from, from trying to be safe and wise. Sometimes there can be repercussions that are not good with that. And I don't know, it could be wrong, but, I think it's, it's, it was just based off of wisdom and, and safety. Yeah. I think the question of broadly, is it good? 
I think for reasons Eddie just mentioned, we would say, no, it's not good that society shut down. Like, yeah, that's good. No, yeah. We can't interact. People are losing their jobs, mm-hmm. not being able to work, which is affecting the economy. I think the question that we all probably want answered is, is it wise? Mm-hmm. Is it wise to make these restrictions on, you know, Pennsylvania as a state or whichever state people may be living in? And that question, I don't know that we can answer yet. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to say something that I, I'll say it, it's, it's very fitting for me and maybe fitting for other people. I'm not an economy expert and I'm not an expert in molecular biology or how diseases are transmitted. I only go with what I read from dependable news sources. And so I don't know if it's wise, honestly, and we may not know until mm-hmm. 10 years from now. Yeah, um, yeah, and so that's true. That's true. I think we, with the best of our ability, need to discern if the restrictions that people are calling us to make are wise and aren't causing us to sin. And if that's the case, you know, we have to have, a, I think, a bit of humility here and trust and say, I'm going to allow the people who are in authority over me to make their decisions and submit to them. And we'll find out if it was wise when that, if that time comes. Yeah, we, we may look back at this time and think we way overreacted. Right. Mm-hmm. It's very possible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But to, to what both of you said already, I think there's an element of, of wisdom. A, a lot of decisions have been made so far with just uncertainty. Mm-hmm. There's right. not enough yeah. data for us to have made a, a fully informed decision. And the, the reality is if we had waited, things, have, things could have been worse yeah. than they even yeah. are now. And yeah. you think things are bad now, but what, what if no measures had been taken two weeks ago? What, what would things look like at this point um, where there hasn't been this, uh, this societal social distancing, there hasn't been the, the shutdown of um, really our economy and, and in other ways, just interaction in general, what things would have looked like. We don't know. Um, I was reading through Leviticus of all places, um, and I think it's Leviticus 12 or 13, somewhere in there, um, God actually talks about people who have leprosy, yeah. Yeah. who are infected with leprosy, mm-hmm. and, yeah, and he actually tells them, like, mm-hmm. yeah. you're going to set aside for seven days, right. present yeah. yourself to the priest, they put mm-hmm. you aside for seven days, and mm-hmm. they'll check on you in seven days, and then if you're still not well, we'll mm-hmm. set you aside for another seven days. Mm-hmm. I don't think we can make direct parallels to right. yeah. us now, but I think principally, we can see, like, God is, God is building a structure in Leviticus for how society needs to function. And he's trying to, in a in a perfect way, because the law is perfect, um, set up a set up a society and a structure that says how we're going to care for a community of people when there's sickness, when there's when there's potential spread of disease. And so I think he puts that in there because there's societal benefit to say we don't know what this can do to people. Right. right. So let's distance ourselves for a time. Um, I, I don't think that that's wrong. Um, there's ramifications from it. There's consequences to it. Um, but I also think God's God's instructions in Leviticus 19 he says to love your neighbor um, as you love yourself and then Jesus quotes that in what was that right before the parable of the Good Samaritan Good Samaritan thank you yeah <laughs> 10. Um, yeah where he says second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor so we have neighbors close proximity to us living next door to us who most likely are not believers, scared out of their minds, um, are we going to love them in a time of uncertainty? So I think it is wise for us, because of the uncertainty, to step back and say, 
yeah, we're, we may look back and think this was extreme, not wise. Yeah. This was extreme. But we, we've taken a precaution in order to show love and care for people. And some of that even means for Romans 13. Um, implications here as well. The government said to do something. They're not telling us we can no longer be Christians. They're not telling us that we're going to be killed if we gather together as a church. But there's an element of we need to take proper proper precautions and listen to what government officials and those in knowledge have for us and the instructions they've given for us. So I think there's principles we can glean. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if a year from now we look back and think extreme measures. <laughs> extreme measures for a few months. But um, the, there's life in the balance as well. You have right. to consider. I mean, there, there's whole implications of um, how do we value people's lives in this too and or do we just brush it off I know people get the flu at higher rates and people die of the flu at higher volumes um, but to just brush it off at some points and say well the flu's worse so let's just deal with it I don't know if that's the same yeah right there's there's implications here of unknown that we need to consider yeah and and also just in relation to the flu argument um, there are way more cases than are reported. No, yeah. Really, yeah. Even, even in our church, we know some who are saying, I have all the symptoms yet. They're not tested yet. And yeah. we just don't. This thing, I think, spreads a little easier and a little faster. Yeah, it does. On the flu, exactly. Yeah. Uh, that comes every year. I don't get flu shots. Um, I don't. I, I drink vitamin C um, yeah. things, little mm-hmm. packets, emergencies. There's my flu shot. And I lick banisters when... Um, when I get a chance, I like I'll sometimes drop my fruit on the ground and pick it up and eat it. That's like a flu shot. Do you ever see? Scoot it away. Do you ever see? Do you ever see the movie Elf when he when he picks uh, the old guy? Oh, so nasty. So gross. So, so gross. Uh, interestingly, uh, our church and many churches have decided we're not going to gather. We're going to do either live stream. Some churches have chosen not to do anything in this season. And I think it would be helpful for us to think about this question. Is this a lack of faith? Are we not trusting God to protect us in this time? Um, Is it a sign of, of we're afraid and so fear is a sin? We shouldn't fear anyone but God who can kill the body and then cast the soul into hell forever. Um, so how, how do we think about this? Uh, I, there is a fine line between fear and wisdom, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, just think about it in your savings. Like, some would say to live by faith is to not have a savings account and to kind of live paycheck to paycheck and just trust God. And then others would say, no, you need to have three months emergency fund and retirement fund and life insurance and, and they would chalk that up to wisdom and the, and the other side would say well you're just you're just not uh, trusting God and so again how do we process this for those who might have an argument hey you guys are just afraid and that's a sin or you guys are not exercising proper faith and trust in God so you're, you're not meeting uh, you know the persecuted church can meet mm-hmm. under extreme circumstances you, you guys are just not exercising faith. What, what would we say to that? 
I think I would I would start with the other element in this conversation is that the government, Governor Tom Wolf, Governor of Pennsylvania, has basically said, unless you need to leave your house, you should social distance yourself from being around a lot of people that you don't see on a regular basis. So that's a that's a that's a government entity saying this is what we would like people to do in order to prevent the spread of this disease. So to have to to be acting in faith. Um, we need to be believing in Jesus, and to be believing in Jesus is to be believing in the Word, right? Sanctified by the truth, your Word is truth, right? That's how we're sanctified or made more like Jesus. And the Word tells us to submit to the government. So for the, I guess for the person who would say you're acting in faith, not fear, or you're acting in fear, not faith, I think the burden of proof would be on them to prove to me why this thing the government is asking everybody, not just churches, but mm-hmm. everybody to do, is sinful. Not just unwise, not just an inconvenience, but it's sinful to obey what the government is saying. I think that's that, to me, is the core of that discussion at this moment, because the government mm-hmm. has said, mm-hmm. we should stay home for the most part, um, unless we can you know, socially distance ourselves and be in very small groups. And so I think you'd have to, if you want to say, I'm going to act in faith, you'd have to prove to me that Governor Tom Wolf told us to do something sinful and that every person in the church will be in sin if they obey what he does or what he says. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. <clears throat> I, um, I would add to that that um, I heard a, a, one of the pastors say why they agreed to do this and I thought it was good. He said when, when, we're, when we decide to, to not meet um, in obedience to the, to the government and the uh, commands of the governor, it's a way of loving our neighbor. Yeah. And say, well, how is that? How is not going to church loving your neighbor? <laughs> say, well, first of all, because um, nobody knows who has this and who doesn't, you know. And we're doing this to protect people who are vulnerable to it, and we don't know who is and who isn't. Um, so, so not going to church and not putting myself in public is a way of loving my neighbor because I'm concerned about them, and if I'm carrying it unknowingly and can pass it on to my 70 year old neighbor or right. church member. Right. That's not very loving, you know. So if I'm if I'm if I'm if I'm abstaining from society and social distancing, that is an act of loving my neighbor in the sense that I don't want to uh, uh, pass on the virus to you if I do have it unknowingly. Does that make sense? You know, and I thought that's that was good. Good. I thought that made sense, and I said that that's good. That's good. Um, and so I, I, it's just a matter of, of like like Justin said, in, in, in part uh, obeying your government. And understanding that there's a mystery to all of this, nobody knows what's going on, how it's transmitted, or why it's transmitted so fast. And so we have to um, take those kind of things into consideration. And I think, and, and I'm gonna say this, I think some people are just trying to be deep, you know, trying to be spiritually deep with, you know, saying you don't have any faith as if they have more than I do, <laughs> because they're going to church, which is ridiculous, you know. So, and I think some some Christians are just trying to be, just trying to be deep and trying to. Um, and, and, and some churches don't want to miss that money they may get on Sunday, you know, because <laughs> I'm just being real. Yeah, the finances are going to drop, you know, and, and, and that's basically them not walking my faith. Right. <laughs> if that's your motive, because I'm going to miss the offering, you know, uh, where's your faith in God? That's a whole other conversation. But, um, but yeah, I, I don't think it has anything to do with your faith um, uh, in, in that sense. I think it's um, uh, uh, obedient to God through obeying uh yeah, your 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 governor, your local uh, governor. There's historical precedents too, right? Um, yeah. When you go back to 
the 1918, 1919 with the Spanish flu, mm-hmm. um, there were orders to close large gatherings of people. Mm-hmm. And um, I know there are numerous churches that comply with it. There's statements you can find just by Googling them to see what pastors said back in 1918 to say, mm. we're, we're closing our formal gathering in the church and we recommend that you you worship in some fashion in your home. Um, thankfully, in 2020, we have the technology to be able to do things like this, live stream mm. on YouTube, and I'm thankful for the, the technology we have to, be able to do that. Um, but I, I would agree, I don't think it's I don't think it's a lack of faith. I think there's uh, the elements that both Justin and Eddie you mentioned apply, and, and I think there's, there's historical precedence for it. Um, we're, we're not, as some people would say, we're not violating Hebrews when it says to right, yeah. um, not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Uh, I, I don't think that's true. I think we're striving in a very difficult situation for hopefully a temporary period of time to worship together as a church in some fashion and use what we have available to the to the best of our abilities um, trusting that God would hopefully alleviate the pandemic around us and allow us to come back together but even then I, I wasn't involved in the, the decisions to move live stream only um, but I, I don't I can't imagine that the three of you was marked by we're afraid so we're choosing to do this <laughs> I don't think yeah right I, I, exactly, I don't think yeah. those were the conversation that wasn't involved with them but I, I can't imagine the three of you are like we're, we're scared right now and so we better close things up no. I was trying to navigate a challenging situation and using wisdom as best as possible yeah and I think you know that could be a, a trying to throw a guilt trip on people too saying oh you're you're afraid you're fearful you know where's your faith in God that can be a guilt trip too an emotional guilt trip on people to make them feel bad about it which is you know sinful in itself <laughs> um but I know there are some churches who have, who have, have decided to meet, and, that, and that's if they've decided to do that. I'm not, you know, hating on them and speaking ill of them. But um, uh, not not only locally, but nationally, some churches have decided to meet. As a matter of fact, one church had had decided to meet and find, come to find out five of their members have the virus. Mm. You know, so and that's why it's, it's it's kind of dangerous to do that right now. You know, so and, but if you're going to do that, okay, fine. I'm not, you know, um, hating on you for that, but just yeah, and just speaking from a personal perspective. I have an autoimmune disease. I'm on an immunosuppressant. Yeah. I'm, I'm a candidate that shouldn't be around people. Yeah. And if fear was driving my life, I wouldn't be in this room with right. the three of you mm-hmm. now six feet away from uh. the <laughs> 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 The banister called. Yeah, yeah, after his flu. After he's licking after the banister, yeah. Banisters and stuff. It's <laughs> organic flu shot. <laughs> so, so, I would, I would, and this isn't to, to tell myself, and this isn't meant to be prideful for me, but of all people, I should be the one that's staying yeah. locked in a room, and I should be afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I'm, I'm living my life in fear. Mm-hmm. I'm taking necessary proper precautions to navigate a challenging time, and I'm trying to do so with any wisdom that God provides as I pray for. Mm-hmm. And I think collectively, I, the, the church has done, at least for Eternal City, has done the same thing. Yeah, the, the, the Sunday, what, say three three weeks ago, it was Saturday night. Saturday all day, we were just yeah. back and forth in our group text and uh, sharing articles, and things were escalating fast. Yeah. And I think it was late Saturday night we decided, you know, we should probably not meet. Let's let's do the live stream. And yeah, you're right. There was no, oh, I'm terrified. I'm anxious. Yeah, 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 was, yeah. We were trying to exercise wisdom. 
and we were taking uh, helpful coaching from those also in Acts 29 who were uh, heads of, of the organization and they were coaching uh, that the churches comply with the you know 50 or under Precautions, and so we, we thought it wise. That's why we did it. Um, okay, so let's switch real quick, and maybe we can end after this. Unless you guys have anything else you want to add, let's put on our shepherding hats for just a moment here. And for those maybe in our church or outside our church who might listen to this, who genuinely are afraid, they're anxious, they're panicking, they're worried, they're fearful. Uh, what would you want to say to them to kind of shepherd, biblical counsel? comfort, encourage, how would we end on a positive note here by by encouraging the afraid? Well, I want to ask why they were fearful. Ask them some questions to find out why they're afraid and and what they're afraid of. Um, And try to encourage them through the Word of God and through loving them and offering help and assistance in any way I can to alleviate that fear. Um, but to find out where it's coming from, first and foremost, maybe there's a history of, of sickness with them where they've had this kind of thing before, um, or they know somebody that has it, or they're vulnerable, like Pete. Um, and, and fear is nothing wrong with that in, in the situation. Um, that's, that's, that's normal to be expected, even among believers, I would say. Um, but at the same time, we are not to live. Fear. Healthy fear, yeah. There's a difference between um, um, logical concern and illogical fear. You know what I'm saying? So I think, um, you know, having um, logical concern is one thing, and that's not sinful. Um, but you want to live in illogical fear. Um, being fear, being afraid for no reason. Um, I would ask, okay, why are you afraid? Are you vulnerable? Um, and if the answer is no. So there's a lot of questions I would ask to try to, to get to the root of their fear and try to alleviate that. Um, through asking questions and offering assistance in um, whatever way that would be necessary and needed. That's good. I think one thing that sticks out to me is the verse that Pete mentioned in Habakkuk at the end of Habakkuk 3. That's uh, one of the examples, and there are many in Scripture, of what I would call a lament. Mm -hmm. Someone offering up their care and their concern and their sadness before God. And I think uh, in the the American church, particularly the modern American church, we've sort of lost that drumbeat of lament and everything is, you know, mm-hmm. God's going to restore and make this better and we're going to keep getting better because God's on our side. And I think this is a, a, a time when we can maybe look to the historic black church, the persecuted church, mm-hmm. churches that are, have been under um, mm-hmm. the, the, the harsh rule of the government or other occupying forces to say, how do they exercise their faith mm-hmm. in this time? Mm-hmm. And I think one That's of good. those... One of those ways they do it is through lament. It's offering up mm-hmm. my concern to God. It's yes. saying, God, this hurts. This is hard. And I think that's a healthy place for us to do that. Um, I, it could be through journaling. It could be through prayer. But to say, like, man, God, like, I really miss Mars Madness. I really miss being able to see my friends. Yeah. I really miss yeah. that vacation I was planning that I can't take right now. And I think what makes lament healthy in a way where we as the modern contemporary church may go off course a little bit is what we'll trust in is, is to say well I'm going to keep praying keep believing and eventually you'll bring me out of this mm-hmm. I'll get yeah, to see yeah. March Madness yeah. or I'll get to see my family or I'll get to go on vacation and biblically we're not promised that yes that's good and yeah. so we yeah. have to really get to the core of what am I believing in what am I believing for mm. is it 
like Habakkuk said, that I trust in the Lord? And is it that maybe, potentially, there could be things that we lose in this that we'll never get back? Exactly, amen. But that we can fill with God, somehow, some way. Maybe that's Jesus coming back and... Mm -hmm. You know, we're not going to talk about eschatology now, but <laughs> let's just say that <laughs> you know, the potential solution could be Jesus practice. coming back. Yeah. Or it could be, I've lost something, but now i found other ways to engage God through prayer, through meditation, through journaling. And so everything you, you're lamenting that you feel like you may have lost in this season, uh, lament that, recognize it, like don't gloss over it, and then seek God to say, okay, God, how can I fill myself with something that you have promised me, the Word, the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the believers in the community, and say, yeah, this is a time for me to maybe develop a new rhythm, to learn to spend more time in prayer, or to learn to spend more time calling and checking on my brothers and sisters in Christ, or to spend more time you know, reading and studying the Word, like all things that we can grow in. So yeah, I'd say use this as a time to, to lament what we've lost and, and to trust God, not for a result, but just for, for who He is, because I think that's, that's where we can... That's where a lot of the anxiety can come from. It's like, wow, when am I going to get to go to a bar with my friends again? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I don't know. Yeah. And and we should we should really wrestle with that and limit that, and then go to God for help. Yeah, trusting in the sovereignty of God. That's yeah. good. And and not and not because a lot of things you hear too is that you know from the church in particular is that you know when this is over, God's going to do this and God's yeah. causes right. this is going to happen. That's going to and it's all good. Mm-hmm. You know, so what may not be good. Yeah. You know, because when this is over, it may be worse than when you started. And nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> nobody wants to hear that. But what if it doesn't? You know, the sovereignty of God says, I'm going to trust you, God. I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm going to trust you. Yeah. Regardless of how this turns out. Um, even if it's just me learning to trust you more mm-hmm. is what I got out of this. That's worth it. Yeah. That's worth it. It's yeah. learning that I learned to trust God more than I did two months ago when I, before all of this started. You know, but those aren't, aren't you know, um, good sermons <laughs> people want to hear. They want to hear, okay, what, what good is going to come out of this? What's going to happen? Well, maybe nothing. It may be worse. Um, but God still loves you. And you're still saved. And it's going to work. You know, so, so those are kind of things you have to, when you have to trust God's sovereignty. And that's faith, you know, so... Trust is faith and faith is trust. Yes, 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 yes. Even when it doesn't turn out good. That's right. Um, Justin and I had a conversation this week, and you mentioned in the message you preached tonight, um, just about. I, I don't. I think it would be. It would be wrong for the church, not just the eternal city, but the church broadly mm. as well, if we get through this time and we look back on it and just say, well, we survived the pandemic of 2020. Um, I, I think our our desire in this time should not just be to get through this, but to to thrive in the sense of our faith grows, um, the church grows. I mean, people, to, to get back a little bit to the, the question of how do we evangelize in this time? People are being brought to their knees economically. Mm-hmm. People are being mm-hmm. brought to their knees in fear, mm-hmm. and they don't have an answer. They don't. They don't have anything they can point to to say this is what's giving me confidence through this. This yeah. is what I can trust in in this time. And so, of all people, the only people who do are Christians. The only people that do are, are people who've placed their faith in Christ mm-hmm. and and trust in Him, not for tangible blessing and good all the time. Um, but for 
the, the ability to have peace in the midst of difficulty, joy in the midst of sorrow, um, all, all of those things. And so we're able to provide that to people now um, in a way that no other person could. Like, President Trump isn't going to be able to provide that. People looked at him and they're like, provide me with some type of stability. And ultimately it's going to fall short um, because he, he's not that. Um, there's no elected leader. There's no there's no person that can bring about the, the confidence and the faith that we can have in in Christ. That even in the midst of challenges, even in the midst of difficulty, we have peace. Um, I was reminded of First Peter four, and First Peter is talking a lot about suffering at the hands of people. But I think we can gather a principle. It's First Peter four, verse nineteen says, "Therefore, let those who suffer." according to God's will, and trust their souls to a faithful creator while they live. We have a faithful God that in the midst of our fears, in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of concerns, in the midst of job loss, and, and who knows what else will come in the next few weeks and months, um, we have a God who's faithful, that we can trust in, that we can rely on, and I love what Peter says after that, while doing good. Mm-hmm. And yet in, in the midst of all of our fear, we don't have to lie about it. We don't have to act like we're not afraid. We don't have to act like we don't have concerns. Um, but we can trust that God is faithful. He is going to work through all these things. And as Roman says, it's for our good and for his glory. And we have an opportunity to go do good to people. Um, so for those who are afraid, trust in a faithful creator. And uh, then go do good. It's good. Yeah. It's real good. Yeah, I would add that uh, reaching out is helpful. Like not isolating yourself in your fears, not isolating yourself, especially as Justin remarked on social media and just having that be your constant voice. Um, And also then we too, not spreading that panic and fear Mm -hmm. on our social media platforms and our places where we might have conversations. We would want to spread faith around and trust around and not fear. Uh, one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 127, and it says, um, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders build in vain. Unless the, the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen watch in vain. There's another psalm that says, the horse is made ready for battle, and victory belongs to the Lord. And the, all those uh, verses, and, and we can compile them, you know, there's many more we can put in that place. Um, not trusting in horses and chariots, you know, in that day that was your, your weaponry, uh, but trusting in God. I, I think that we need to realize that God is the one who is our protection. And nothing can get us, quote unquote, unless He allows it to get us. Right, right, right. And if He does allow it to get us, whatever it is, in this case the virus, then it, it, there's a good purpose in God. Not that the it might be good in of itself, but the, the motivation of God in allowing it to come our way and to get us, there's a good motivation in God, always. Right, so the end of Genesis, uh, Eddie just finished Genesis. Yes, I did. Joseph says mm-hmm. about his brothers, you meant it mm-hmm. for evil. Right. All that they did to him, their motives were not good. But God meant it, the very act of evil, 
for good for the saving of many people. And so God's motive for allowing that to happen, that secondary causality, God caused that, but it was secondary causality. His motives in that were for good because eventually there would be the saving of many lives through that very act that took place, what, 13 years later? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think that having our faith strengthened through this is a good, and it's what we need to do. We need to, so I've said about myself in recent sufferings, I need a good, strong dose of the sovereignty of God. That's what I need. And so I read a book, I listened to a book called Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. You guys read, read that one? Excellent. So I would highly recommend it. It's like eight hours long. It's a long one. But Jerry just goes through and compiles the verses on sovereignty. I don't know if he, he might quote every single verse in the Bible. But then he goes on to talk about how God is loving and wise. And he acts in love and wisdom and sovereignty. It's a great book. Um, and then I would also say that the Psalms in and of themselves are very emotional. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, like... If you want to ex- express emotions or have your emotions kind of be met in the Bible, go to the Psalms and read them. And I've often allowed the Psalms to be my prayers, mm-hmm. you know, and you can pray. Yeah. So it might say enemies and David might be talking about the Philistines mm-hmm. or those who are, you know, have a coup against him. Mm-hmm. But our ultimate enemies are Satan, sin and death. Mm-hmm. And even in Ephesians, we're told that we don't actually wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers over this present darkness. And so, um, though our enemies are, in this case, COVID-19, this virus that could get us, um, the ultimate enemy is Satan, sin, and death, right? So let's, let's imagine the worst. Let's say one of us comes down with it and it is fatal. For the Christian, that's what Paul would call gain. Mm-hmm. To die is gain. Now, that's hard for us because we're afraid of the act of death, the experience of death. But I think we need to say the ultimate worst thing that could happen to us for the Christian is actually, biblically speaking, the best thing that could happen for us. And in terms of fear, you know, Jesus himself said, don't fear those who can kill the body. Fear him who, after the body is killed, can can cast the soul and body into hell forever. So that's that's a plea. Fear God. And, and Proverbs would say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. Mm-hmm. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, that, might be, that might be a strong way to say it. I probably wouldn't say that if I was looking at someone with right. tears in their eyes yeah. and they were yeah. like, I'm terrified. I wouldn't say it like that. But I think that in general, the fear of God is healthy. And, and there's more to the fear of God than cowering under his greatness there's a reverence there's a respect but there is a cowering under his greatness element to it as well right like if God should I've often thought this to myself when I pray I I believe God hears me but if God showed up presently and showed himself even in a in a a one trillionth of his glory I would shut up immediately and I would not speak so it's a grace that he even holds back from me the sense of his nearness which sounds really strange, but you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like we would, we would, you know, Moses, you cannot see my glory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It would just disintegrate. You would, you would be swallowed up in my glory and turned to dust. And maybe your dust would then turn to finer dust. But so for God to show up 
for us. It, it needs to be in very, very, very small doses. Mm -hmm. But even those small doses are, are filling and life-giving. Anyone want to add to that after I've spoken for a couple minutes? Mm -hmm. I would say very, very practically, we obviously see and engage with God individually, um, but we see and engage with Him corporately within the church. And so I would encourage anyone who hasn't been or is struggling in with fear, stay connected to your GCCs. Yeah. Stay connected to the activities that are happening in the church. Uh, I think it's awesome that the ladies of the church have um, their connection through the, the Marco Polo app that's going on. Stay connected with that. Engage with the people you're around because um, you will experience grace through that. Um, and you're not going to get it through Facebook and Twitter the way you would through spending a, an hour or two um, on Zoom or Google Hangouts, hanging out with your GCC virtually. So I would encourage everyone to do that and continue to do that. It's good. Well, thank you, brothers. Anyone want to give any closing remarks before we shut it down? I'll make one final remark. This is by far, by far, the most important thing I'm going to say on this podcast today. A lot of us are washing our hands more, and that's great. But especially for those of us who are blessed with more melanin. <laughs> lotion. <laughs> we need lotion. I need lotion too, brother. <laughs> your hands are going to dry out because you're washing them so much. So right on your sink, you have your soap. Just get a good bottle of lotion put it right there. So what is a good bottle of lotion, bro? That's a whole separate podcast. Yeah, you gotta get a list of That's a whole separate podcast. We can put it in the show notes. Yeah, some good lotions. It's a lotion suggestion. Can't go wrong with Jergens. Jergens is good, yeah. So just kidding, invest in some lotion. I believe you said that, yeah. But that's true, yeah, we do need lotion, yes. I have lotion all the time. I carry it with me, yeah. Eddie always travels with one of his I do, I do. He really does. Okay, thank you, Justin, for that. Cultural moment there. <laughs> All right, culture conversations out. Love you guys.